All right, so here we are once again uh, in the fourth chapter, and we're looking at this story. And we're coming uh, today as, as we look at the story. Now we're looking at the, um, the authorities and their, their dealings with the apostles and the, the response of the apostles to this um, situation that has arisen here where they have been arrested and they have been put in jail and they are being severely threatened that they are not to continue to speak or to teach or to preach in the name of Jesus. So uh, what we want to do is we want to look at uh, how they responded to this moment of opposition that arose. And then we want to look at why they responded the way they responded. And then finally, we want to look at um, how this experience of theirs speaks to us today. So, but before we go and, and look at those things, I, I want to remind you of how they ended up in this predicament, because this is uh, something that I think is really important for us to grab hold of. And the situation here that they find themselves in, standing before the political governmental authorities and boldly proclaiming the gospel to them, this isn't something that they planned to do. Uh, this wasn't the result of some strategy uh, that they had to, you know, man, we've got to get the gospel to the leaders of the nation. It wasn't anything like that at all. It was really all a result of them just taking a simple step of faith. And that goes back to the healing of the lame man at the gate. And then how that started this chain reaction, how that set everything in motion. And the thing that I want us to understand here uh, is how, you know, God is at work. He was at work then, he's at work now. And although we can certainly you know, plan to do things and there's nothing the matter with that. What we need to realize is that God already has a plan and God is looking for us just to respond to him obediently and to take steps of faith. And as we do that, that will put us in that place where we just find ourselves swept up in the work of God. Things that we didn't even uh, dream would, you know, be a possibility. I, I think of an experience that I had many years ago. I was invited, um, this is back in 2001, I was invited along with a friend uh, to, to go and, and attend an, an event. I'm trying to talk here this morning. It's a little difficult after all those candied yams, but uh, <laughs> I'll get it out. I, so I was invited to attend an event in Washington, D.C. And so on September the 10th, 2001, I flew to Washington, D.C. And we all know what happened the next morning. So the event that I was scheduled to attend was obviously canceled because of the attacks in New York and at the Pentagon. And this ended up resulting in a situation where 
I never would have dreamed that we could find ourselves involved in the kind of ministry that we were involved in. So, you know, the, the terrorist attack took place. I was in Washington, D.C. Um, my my um, primary objective was to get back to California. And at the time, that was not an easy thing to do. Uh, flights were all canceled. Um, car rentals weren't, were not available. And uh, I was staying with some friends there in the D.C. area, and there was a van full of people that were going to get on the road. They were going to drive from D.C. across country and eventually back to California. There was one seat left on the van or left in the van, and that seat was available for me. Uh, I got the van. I sat down, and the Lord spoke to me and said, don't leave. I don't want you to go. And I'm like, that's not the Lord, because I got to get out of here. You know, <laughs> my family's back at home. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, I got to get back home. I really felt very strongly that I was supposed to stay. So I did. I got out of the van and I, you know, went in the house and actually just knelt down beside the bed there in the room that I was staying. I said, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but, you know, whatever it is, here I am. So to make a long story short, we ended up. Uh, driving from D.C. up to New Jersey, then eventually into New York City, and spent the next two weeks doing ministry there in the city, um, and you know having experiences that I remember as as we were engaged in these different you know things that we were doing there. I remember thinking to myself how we could have never ever planned this ourselves. We could never have planned for this kind of openness. We could never have planned for this kind of opportunity. We could never have planned to have hundreds and thousands of people who were, uh, because of the horrific circumstances, very attentive, maybe for the first time in their lives, to the gospel. And we had a, a, a captive audience. And so my point in sharing that story is just to kind of put it in a context uh, for us today, how as we just go about our lives as followers of Jesus, committed to doing his will and serving him, and as those uh, opportunities come up before us to take steps of faith, we never know what's going to happen when we take the step of faith. I mean, it might just be that one situation that we are dealing with. I mean, it could have been in the story here. It could have been they healed the lame man and the man jumped up and rejoiced and he praised the Lord and he went home and hallelujah, what a great thing. God healed a man today. But remember, that's not only what happened. What happened after that was a great crowd gathered. And so Peter preached the gospel to them. And then as a result of that great uh, crowd gathering, the authorities were upset. So they arrested the disciples and they brought them before the leaders of the nation. And so that brings us to where we're at in the story where they now have this opportunity to testify to these men. So let's just look uh, at their response as we see it here in the story. So they're, they're, they're brought before the disciples and, and back in verse 13, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, it was a, a very courageous response 
that the apostles had to being brought before these men. Now, remember, these men were the same men that condemned Jesus to death. So this was a, a very serious and potentially deadly situation they were in. And rather, though, than uh, pulling back because that was the case, they spoke boldly. They spoke courageously. As we go on in the story in verse 18, it says, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So these guys are very courageous in their response to these men. Uh, these men have absolute power. They're able to you know, cast them in prison and never let them out. Uh, they're able to work uh, a deal with the Romans to have them executed if that's what they want to do. But we see that they were totally courageous um, in the face of that. The second thing I want you to see is that they rehearsed to themselves the sovereignty of God. Now, we use that term, the sovereignty of God. What that means just simply is God's control over all things. And, and they reminded themselves of that. As we go on in the story, uh, they were eventually let go. Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage? The people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined determined before to be done. So they rehearse the sovereignty of God. They, they come back together and they remind themselves of the fact that God is in control of everything. God's the maker of heaven and earth. He created everything. He actually foretold in advance the very things that they were experiencing. And so they're encouraging themselves by reminding themselves of the sovereignty of God. And then the thing that we see finally that they did is that in the face of this opposition, they prayed. And so verse 29, now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So that's what they did. They, they courageously proclaimed the name of Christ. They rehearsed among themselves the sovereignty of God. And then they prayed. Notice what they didn't pray. They didn't pray, Lord, protect us from these kinds of situations in the future. Lord, deal with these men and take them out. They didn't pray those kinds of things. Instead, they prayed for themselves, that they would continue to be fearless and that God would grant his power not to wipe out the opposition, but he, that he would grant his power 
that would help the gospel to go forward. Now, why did they respond the way they did? So what, what caused such courage on their part? Now, let me remind you that Peter, who is part of this team, Peter and John, let me remind you that Peter had previously cowered when he was asked if he was a follower of Jesus. Remember when Jesus was betrayed and he was going to trial and Peter was there at a distance and he was standing around the fire and someone said, hey, you're, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And Peter swore with an oath that he didn't know Jesus. So what we know about Peter's courage here and his boldness is, first of all, it's not natural. You know, how many times do we feel when we think of the possibility of, of receiving some sort of resistance or some sort of pushback when we step out to share the gospel? How many times do we feel like, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm brave enough for that. Well, here's the good news. God gives us a boldness. See, Peter wasn't naturally fearless. We saw what he was naturally like previously. How is it that he was so courageous? It's because he was filled with the Spirit. See, and this is what happens when the Spirit comes upon us. When the Spirit is leading us and the Spirit is calling us to do something, as we take our step of faith, we can trust that the Spirit will empower us and give us what we lack. So if I lack courage, God will give me the courage. And that's what we see happening with here, or with Peter here. So he's filled with the Spirit. That's the reason why he's emboldened the way he is. But there's a second part to this as well. And I think this is it. Peter not only is filled with the Spirit, but underneath now, there is this, this certainty of who Jesus is. There's the certainty that Jesus is indeed the Son of God because Peter knows that Jesus is risen from the dead. Peter knows that, that Christ conquered the grave. So as he stands in front of these men who put Jesus to death, he knows that these men really have no power because the one they put to death rose from the dead. And he's there representing that one. So it's his deep conviction of the certainty of the resurrection of Christ coupled with this empowering of the spirit that gives him the boldness. Now, they responded this way as well because they knew that come life or death, God was in control of everything. They knew that God was in control of, of all of history. And of course, if God's in control of all of history, then they understood that God was in control of their lives as well. And there was nothing to be afraid of. Now, think about this. When we are intimidated and when we are pressured or when you know, somebody pushes against us because we're standing up for the name of Jesus, what, what's happening there with us? We're, when, when we back down, we're backing down uh, because we're afraid of something. Now, for most of us, we're not really afraid anybody's gonna kill us because that's you know, not all that likely, at least in our 
context. I mean, that does happen in places though, right? But, but that's not it so much for us. What it is for us, it's more just rejection. You know, we're, we're going to be rejected. We're going to be looked upon as foolish or we're going to be, you know, pushed away from this particular group or something like that. But, but what does that say to us? If that's the thing that is causing us to back down, it really shows us that we're more concerned with the approval of people than we are with the approval of God. But if we understand who God is, he's the one who made the heaven and the earth. He's the one who holds all history in his hand. He's the one who prophesied and told us in advance all of these things are going to happen. You know, at the end, do I really care what somebody else thinks in comparison to what God thinks? So they knew that they had nothing to fear because as they got the perspective of God's sovereignty, it just... It put everything in its proper place. So here are these men telling us not to do something that God told us to do. So we're not going to worry about the, the potential outcome. We're going to trust that God's in control of everything. And as we see again, they prayed. They prayed because they knew that the real issue here was spiritual. Now think about this. Faced with these kinds of things, opposition from the governmental authorities is what we have here. Think of the different things that we might opt to do uh, if we're faced with something like that. You know, we might opt to write our congressman. You know, I got in trouble because I stood up for Jesus and I want you to you know, as my congressman, I want you to take note of that. And I want you to make sure that that doesn't happen to me again. Or, you know, or, or you know, we got to get rid of these people that are in power. We got to get new people elected that are going to give us the freedom to do what we want to do. I mean, those are the things that sometimes we just sort of naturally gravitate toward. But those things are not really striking at the root of the issue because the issue is really spiritual. And they understood that they were in a spiritual battle and they understood that they needed God to intervene. Now, I'm going to break the news to you about this today and it might not make you happy, but you know, the reality is for most of human history, most rulers have been corrupt, evil people. Do you know that? I mean, it's really true. <laughs> it really is. And where you find exceptions, they are the exception. But that's kind of the way it is. And God doesn't, God is not in the habit historically of just, you know, hey, well, let's just get rid of this guy and put somebody else in. He oftentimes lets those evil people, I mean, these are the people that killed Jesus and they're still in power. But the apostles aren't even praying, Lord, you know, just wipe Caiaphas out, get rid of Annas. Get rid of all these wicked. These guys were wicked to the bone. They were corrupt. They were corrupt before they ever met Jesus. But that's not how they dealt with it. They dealt with it through prayer because they knew that behind the scenes, there was even something more sinister. They realized that there was a spiritual force that was working against them. So they prayed because they understood 
that the essence of the conflict was spiritual. So they were bold because of the empowering of the Spirit and the conviction of the resurrection of Christ. They trusted in God's sovereignty that God was watching over them. And since he'd led them there, that they could count on him to take care of them. And, and then they committed everything to him in prayer. Now, I, I want us to just look at what this uh, situation here can teach us. What can we learn from their experience? Well, one thing we should learn from their experience and the experience of most people, even throughout history, is that the gospel will most uh, commonly be met with resistance. The rest of the book of Acts. Now, up until this point, at least in the book of Acts anyway, um, it, it's a relatively short period of time, but there's been sort of a free flow of the gospel. You know, the gospel has gone out, people have responded, and the many thousands have come to know the Savior. But, but we're not too far into that, you know, probably a few weeks. And all of a sudden, the gospel is now met with resistance. And that's the rest of the story of the book of Acts. But what we need to understand is that's just the reality. That, that is just the way it is. For the most part, throughout every generation, the gospel advances in the face of resistance. So we shouldn't be surprised by that. We should expect that, really. If we have seasons where there's no resistance, I mean, we're just like, wow, this is fantastic. Thank you, Lord. But there, there's always some sort of resistance, whether it's spiritual or sociopolitical or cultural or personal. Christ and his gospel are going to be resisted because the gospel is a threat. You know what it's, it's a threat to? It's a threat to personal power. Now think about this. Think about what happened here. A, a man, a lame man was healed. Isn't that a good thing? When I mean, you think, you know, here's this guy who never walked. He was born in this condition. He never walked and Jesus healed him. And now he's walking and leaping and praising God. You would think that everybody was be like, this is the greatest thing ever. Look what Jesus did. But they didn't do that. Why? Because it was a threat to their position. And this goes all the way back into the gospel accounts. We know that this was the case. Remember that one uh, occasion where uh, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would, needed to die for the nation rather than the whole nation perish because he said, look, everybody's going after him. And, and, if, and if everybody follows him, will be irrelevant. And the Romans will come and take away our place. That was their reason for getting rid of Jesus because he was threatening their power structure. And that was the same thing as just carrying over now into post-resurrection time. They are fearful of Jesus because he is a threat to their position. But that's always true. It's true whether it's in the spiritual realm, why does, why does Satan so uh, persistently oppose the advancement of the gospel? Because it is taking away his power. 
There's nothing that you will do to advance God's kingdom that won't be met with some sort of resistance. It, it might be invisible resistance, but it's very real. I can't tell you how many times I've experienced it or seen it with other people. You, you take a step of faith. You, you decide, you know, you're going to go out and you're going to do something for the Lord. You're going to, I don't know, maybe you're going to go on a missions trip, or maybe you're just going to open up your home and you're going to have a Bible study, or maybe you plan to do some sort of outreach and all hell breaks loose. And, and, and a lot of times people just say, well, you know, forget that. I'm not going to try that anymore because look what happened. Everything went crazy. Well, that's the spiritual battle. That's the resistance that we face. And so it happens in all of these different realms because of the threat that Jesus brings to every opposing power structure. And the gospel, therefore, is met with fierce resistance. Fierce, albeit uh, futile resistance, because in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But you've noticed this undoubtedly, but let me just remind you of some of these things. Isn't it interesting how people just, the name of Jesus just, just makes people get the, you know, there's just something about that. You know, people go into fits over the name of Jesus. You can pray. That's fine. But just don't tack on that in Jesus' name thing to the prayer. Do you know that I know pastors and we've even had invitations. You know, once in a while you get an invitation to come to like a city council meeting or something like that. Um, you know, they want you to pray over a particular thing or to open up a meeting. And did you know that there are times when they will contact us and say, we'd like you to come and pray and that would be really wonderful. We always like to have a reverend come over. When they say reverend, you always know that uh, <laughs> you're a little suspicious right there. But, you know, we want to have the reverend come over and say a prayer. And, but now we just need you to know that you can't pray in Jesus' name. Oh, really? Why? I mean, what if we prayed in some other name? Would that be okay? You know, but... I mean, seriously, you, you can't pray in the name of Jesus. This is something that we see and nothing's really changed because that's pretty much what the issue was back then, right? What did they say to them? They said that you are not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. You know, you can talk about religion today, but you can't talk about Jesus, and we have all had those experiences, I would imagine, when you, know, you just see people are coming unglued just over the name of Jesus. You can talk about his holiness, the Dalai Lama, but if you talk about his holiness, Jesus Christ, you're looked at as some sort of a you know, radical. But this is just the spirit that we're, we're dealing with here. So we need to know that. This, we learn this from their experience. The powers that be will always resist the gospel. We also need to know, as they knew, that God is sovereign, that God is in control. Do we believe that? That God is really in control? Now, I, I'm asking you, do you believe that? And, and do you believe it to the point where you've made it very um, much just 
something that you, you're basing your life on so that when you go out into the world, when you go onto your job or, or whatever context you're in, if the opportunity arises, you're going to speak up for Jesus. You're going to talk about Jesus as the opportunity arises, and you're not going to worry about the consequences. Now, a lot of times we draw back because of the potential negative consequences. People say, well, you know, I can't, I can't do that because, you know, I, I could lose my job if I, you know, if I stood up for the Lord. And I'm not talking about being rude or being, you know, and I mean, sometimes as Christians, we can think that we're standing up for the Lord, but we're really just being kind of rude. So, you know, we want to make sure we're differentiating between that. But, you know, there are just those moments when you know that, you know, this is a time when I need to stand. But sometimes what happens is we cower under the pressure because we think, well, you know, if I do that, you know, I might, you know, lose my standing with these people, or I might lose the possibility of that promotion, or I might even lose my job. In some places, you might even lose your life. What do we do when we're faced with that? Well, if we forget the sovereignty of God, then we probably will buckle under the pressure. But if I remember you know, God's in control of everything. God made heaven and earth, the sea and everything that's in them. God said through the mouth of his prophets that these things would happen. These things were all um, known to him in advance. And then God knew that I would be in, in this situation right here today. And therefore I can trust him that if he's allowed me to come to this situation, he wants me to stand for him. And come what may, I'm, I'm just going to trust him for the future. See, this is where it comes down to real practical faith, where I'm, I'm trusting God, even though in standing for Jesus in this situation, it might cost me a friendship. It might cost me my employment or something like that, but I'm, I'm trusting God. That's what these guys were doing. That's what we have to do. And then again, we see them praying for the gospel to go forward and counting on the Lord to fill them with his spirit in order to accomplish the mission. Now, this is what I want us to take away. As I mentioned in the beginning, all of this happened. As I've already said, these are things that are just completely beyond their control, but they're obviously things that God has set up. So again, you know, let's just think about Peter and John. They're together with the other disciples. It's getting close to the hour of prayer. They decide, hey, let's go over to the temple for the hour of prayer. All right, let's go. And there they go off to the temple. They come along, they see this man, this lame man. They probably had seen him before. For all we know, Jesus might've even walked by this man. But on this particular occasion, Peter recognizes that, that God wants to do something here. So Peter, like we pointed out previously, Peter takes a step of faith and he engages this man and he says, silver and gold, I don't have, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And 
from that simple act of obedience, taking the step of faith, here they are back before the very men that put Jesus to death, testifying once again to the reality of Jesus as the Messiah. So as we who are serious about following Jesus, as we take steps, of faith, just in the, as the opportunities arise in the course of our daily life, you know, the ramifications of that can be so far reaching. You never know what's going to happen. That's, that's the thing that's so exciting to be caught up in the sovereignty of God, to just be swept up in something the Lord's doing. You, you don't even realize it. There's just you know, a situation you find yourself in and you just feel like, you know, I should talk to this person right now, or I should pray for them right now, or I should just extend a helping hand or something. It just comes on your heart. Like, you know, this is what you need to do. And you never know that that might be a a door that opens. That's going to just cause a, a succession of, of opportunities to come about as a result. You know, I was just, I was with my son the last few days, my oldest son, and we had uh, our Thanksgiving dinner with them. And, and they like to invite, you know, people in the church that don't have anywhere to go on, on that day. They like to invite people over. So they had a number of young people over at the house. And in our conversation, my son just went around the room and he was kind of pointing out people to me. And he was telling me how those people came to faith through their ministry. And it was so fascinating to listen to these stories because, you know, one, one woman was, uh, you know, she was just sort of lost in life and didn't really know what she was looking for. And she goes into a coffee place and she has a conversation with this person. And this woman says to her, you know, there's a church, the lady doesn't even go to the church. There's this church that I just, it seems like you would be a good fit for there. You should check it out. So she decides, okay, I'll go check it out. Well, she gets saved. And, you know, then they go on to tell me about, you know, how she, um, you know, met this guy in the church and they got married and, you know, all of these great things. And I, I think for myself, I think of, you know, all the many years of ministry and I think of all of the different stories of people's lives, how just one little thing opened up an opportunity and, and led to this series of events that resulted in this amazing thing. And let's not, let's not forget that. Let's recognize that that's how God works. Let's just make ourselves available to just be swept up in one of those scenarios that God sometimes creates. But like I'm saying, the thing about these guys is that they were serious about following Jesus. And all of this happened in the course of their daily lives. And so as you go out into your daily life this week as a follower of Jesus, just be open to an opportunity. And when the opportunity comes, take the step and see what happens. But remember this, boldness, courage comes from the power of the Spirit. 
the book of Acts is, as we pointed out very early on, it's very much about the ministry and the power of the Spirit. So guess what? Before you go out the door every day this week, you can just say, Lord, I'm going out. I don't know what's going to happen out there, but Lord, fill me with your Spirit so that when the opportunity arises, I have the courage to take that step. We can do that very thing. Remember, it's the power of the Spirit that emboldens us. It's the, it's the deep conviction that Jesus really is the Savior. He really did die. He really did rise from the dead. If I don't have that deep, deep conviction, then I'm not going to be as inclined to boldly step out. So I need to strengthen my faith. I need to get more into God's Word. Remember that God is sovereign. Don't back down because there might be some consequence. Know that God can overrule that. God is bigger than the consequence. And if there was some negative fallout, like you lost your job, well, guess what? God will provide something else. He, he will take care of that. That's, we can trust him to do those kinds of things. And as we commit to prayer... And as we just finish up here, notice they just said, Lord, look on their threats, grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God with boldness. As they prayed, God responded. And so as we pray in faith, we can expect that God will respond as well. So Lord, we pray that you would help us in our day to be bold witnesses like Peter and John were in their day. And Lord, we know that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And Lord, we know that there's fierce resistance to the gospel. We know there's an enemy, an invisible evil power that seeks to prevent the gospel from going forward. We pray, Lord, against that evil spirit. And we pray, God, that you would just advance your gospel. Lord, as we think of the, the socio-political situation, as we think of the cultural situation, and all of these forces that are working overtime to prevent the name of Jesus from being exalted. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign over all of these forces. We trust in you today. And Lord, even when it comes down to our own resistance, forgive us, Lord, for resisting and help us to yield to your lordship over our lives. So Lord, take us and and as we go this week, Lord, we pray that we might be sensitive to the opportunities that you put before us. And when they come, that we would step out in faith and that you, Lord, would just take it from there to wherever you want it to go. We pray in the end that people would hear the gospel and people would be saved. In Jesus' name.